Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State Athletics. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. This is going to be the last thing you guys want to hear. Here to kick off the show. The Dallas Cowboys defense is looking absolutely insane during training camp. I mean, today is just the latest example. I mean, I think Trayvon Diggs had three interceptions today or maybe uh, had two and almost got a third one. Mm. Micah Parsons is tearing it up. So is Demarcus Lawrence on the defensive line. And then for some reason, and that's I'm totally hyped about that, right? And then I look at the uh, the first initial depth chart from ah. the Dallas Cowboys, and Mike McCarthy has Deuce Vaughn not even listed as like the true fifth string running back. He's in an, in an or situation. And I'm like, have you not heard the people ooing and on about Deuce Vaughn at training camp? Like, he is the most talked about person at Dallas Cowboys training camp, certainly when it comes to the newcomers. My heart did skip skip a beat when I saw Deuce Vaughn, even though with, you know, the Dallas Cowboys haven't had the best of luck with running backs at uh, at training camp so far with Ronald Jones with his suspension. But Deuce Vaughn had an or situation for fifth string. I'm like, what are we doing, guys? Don't you want to win a Super Bowl? Got to keep Deuce Vaughn around. Welcome to the game, Mitch Fortner, Troy Coverdale. I had to laugh at Adam Schefter complaining about uh, a depth chart that had ores on it and saying that he had never seen a depth chart that had that. And uh, any of us who have called ball games at the collegiate level fully understand or on a depth chart. It's like we've seen that all yeah. of our careers. Well, I mean, even, you know... And we're going to get to a whole bunch of Chris Kleiman press conference highlights here in the next hour and a half as we're out of 5.30, that when that first depth chart comes out the Tuesday before September 2nd, oh, it'll be there's going to be a bunch of oars there, yeah. I'm sure. You know, the irony of it was Schefter saying that when his idol at Michigan did that a number of years ago because he just hates depth charts. Actually thinking about that, there, there, there'll definitely be in the secondary, no doubt about that, I would imagine. Uh, where else? Maybe, maybe kicker, maybe kicker, possibly. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we're going to get to that certainly, uh, here in the show. 
And maybe, it's, maybe it's a little too hard to tell right now where the uh, where all the ores would be right now. I was thinking maybe there would be an ore for the third wide receiver in the starting lineup, but you know, Kleiman had good things to say about R.J. Garcia earlier today that made me feel really good about where his progression is. And we're still very preliminary when it comes to these fall practices. I'm, they're just six practices in. They got a couple of weeks still to go, more than a couple of weeks still to go. It's just August 8th. So maybe we don't quite know where all the oars would be right now, but there will be some of the depth chart. You know, maybe a second string quarterback might be an oar on the depth chart uh, heading into September 2nd because. Listen to you trying to load that one up. You know, some very nice things were said about Avery Johnson today. Yes, they were, but he sounded pretty solid on Jake Rubley as well. I heard some routine and, uh, you know, repetitive things said about. Jake Rubley, that we've heard about quarterbacks in the past. That would be backing up like a Skylar Thompson, you know. And, uh, boy, talk about just raving about. He plays fast was the one that got your attention, I'm sure. Oh, for sure. Well, it it was also, you know, it was a uh, saying that he played fast, you know, didn't surprise me. No. uh, Because that's how he played in high school. But if he's right out of the gate, fall practices, even though he was here for the spring, and he's already up to speed with how things are played at the college level. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. That's pretty impressive. I don't care if you are a four or five star. That's pretty impressive to be able to keep up pretty much right away. All right, again, we're on for an hour and a half uh, out at 530 for Royals baseball, trying to get some revenge over last night's loss to the Boston Red Sox. Uh, it's going to be a lot of Chris Kleiman highlights. Uh, and, of course, do not forget, it is Tuesday. You know what that means. I brought it back about a month ago. We will be crowning later on in this hour another Jabroni of the Week. And it's quite a list of Jabronis this week. But, of course, there can only be one with three dishonorable mentions. Let's get to Chris Kleiman. Unfortunately, uh, man, some sad news to hear about K-State President mm-hmm. Dr. Richard Linton earlier today diagnosed with throat and tongue cancer that was uh, made in an announcement i actually got it in an email it's on k-state kansas state university's official website is where you can read that but dr linton he shared the news about his diagnosis today and that his uh, cancer is treatable it's curable it's going to require daily treatments he's going to be going to ku cancer center in kansas city for the next few months so he's going to be working a lot remotely while uh, he undergoes treatment, uh, Chris Kleiman opened up his press conference uh, with um, his statement about the news about President Richard Linton. Our thoughts and prayers are with President Linton right now, and uh, uh, hopefully um, they've caught it in time. And, and I know he's going through some uh, some treatments in the near uh, future, and, and uh, we're thinking of him uh, with K-State football for sure and and obviously the entire k-state community we're praying for you uh we've got your back prez so uh wishing you well yeah we all all know i mean cancer is an absolute pain in the keister i lost my grandpa uh last year as a matter of fact uh almost a year ago to the day uh he had cancer and dementia at the same time um unfortunately caught up with him it's just been a bad day in terms of my hearing regarding cancer I have a family member who right now is dealing with metastatic who unfortunately is not going to be with us much longer. Cousin of mine, Taylor Brett, speed break. Oh, yeah. His dad fighting cancer now. 
He made that announcement on Twitter earlier today. And yes, I did see that as well. You have President Linton. So, yeah, quite a, uh, quite a day when you start getting into uh, the personal side of it. Well, Coach Bratt and uh, President Linton, we're thinking about you guys here on the game. And uh, certainly with President Linton, I, I don't think I've ever seen Coach Bratt at a game. Um, talking about Taylor Bratt's dad. Mm-hmm. But uh, President Richard Linton, we hope to have you back uh, here very soon at Kansas State and uh, at back at games. But we're all thinking about you. All right, let's go to uh, – we got a lot of clips to play. I mean, it's the first press conference of the fall. I mean, there's, it's a lot of questions about you know where depth is at. How are you feeling about this guy? How are you feeling about that guy? Is this guy going to be ready to go? Also, health questions. And the media at last week's open practice for the media, the portion of the practice that was for the media uh, that I wasn't able to be at, but Troy was. And everybody noticed that there was one player sitting out, but it was on a bike, you know, just kind of keeping the legs moving, uh, but could be out a, a period of time. And we didn't know until today's press conference about how long it could be. And we're talking about right tackle Christian Duffy. And we're talking about a player that has a starting streak of 35 games. You got to go back to the pandemic season. Yeah. To the last time. So you're talking almost three full seasons. I think it's almost three full seasons of starting college football games for Christian Duffy on the right side of the offensive line, but with his recent injury that is now, of course, in jeopardy. And uh, Chris Kleiman was asked the question earlier today when could we expect to see Duffy back in the lineup? Early into the season, holding him out from some something that happened in the summer, but it's not long term. We'll find out a little bit more probably in the next couple weeks about when his avail- availability will be. We know it's not a long term. We don't believe it's a long term deal, but um, we're going to be really cautious. So early into the season, so that could certainly well mean that Duffy's going to miss the first game, September second against Semo, and there goes his streak of consecutive starts and it's extremely impressive that he's been able to put that streak together and I think right now it is a blessing that right now that he is really the only injury to speak of right now nobody else was brought up uh, as far as I remember nope Uh, there were a number of guys of course out for the spring and summer but things are thumbs up for everybody that was reported there as far as we know but we also know that you know, Connor Riley has been hard at work the last few years because the seems like the golden number is to have eight guys at least to where you really feel you have some true depth at the offensive line. Plus, this is a roll-it-back year for the offensive line where everybody is coming back from last year's Big 12 championship and Sugar Bowl team. Well, one of them is Christian Duffy. But behind him, there are a number of guys that could fill in that spot and you're thinking all right we should be in good hands but we'll wait and see what happens on September 2nd Andrew Langang is one of them that typically works on the left side of the line but he is an option to play at right tackle John Pastore who we've heard good things about the last uh, year or two has that opportunity to get a big role right away and get some action early on with the Cats plus this is a name that I felt like I've been hearing about for years as a backup, but hasn't graduated to the big boy role yet. And that's Carver Willis. Carver Willis is a 6'5 junior. And I believe on last year's depth chart, he was listed as a right guard, or right tackle, rather. 
but he's played three seasons so far for K-State, but 11 games total. It's typically been in mop-up duty. And he has yet to start a game, but he is also an option to play right tackle if Christian Duffy is not ready to go, as you know, K-State, again, is going to be holding him out. Uh, but there are there is, even though it's limited, there is experience that can fit into that role. Meanwhile, everybody else, including Taylor Portier, who got hurt in the first game last year, uh, is uh, is good to go. So that is excellent news. Just one hiccup right now for the offensive line, and that is uh, Christian Duffy, but he's not expected to miss a long period of time. The shorter, of course, is the better. Uh, let's see here. Let's, let's, let's squeeze in a couple more clips here. I, I did want to make sure to get this in because, of course, I, I was fully expecting this question to be asked. That's about future non-con because Arizona, who is coming up in the non-con in 24 and 25, I believe, is uh, well, no longer going to be in the non-con because they're now part of the Big 12 starting in 24. And Colorado was on the uh, docket for 28. Yeah, that's right. Actually, it was a home and away, I think, yeah, right around that time, uh, the 2028 season, right around that time was that when that home and away was going to take place. So now you're looking at two future non-con opponents that have to be uh, replaced, but as you can imagine, not a lot of focus on that right now. I haven't talked to Jill or Gene. It's ever-changing, uh, which is good for us because we're in the midst of, of fall camp. Uh, I know there's been a lot of a lot of things going on with conference realignment. I'll let Commissioner Yormark, who's done a phenomenal job of making the Big 12 really, really strong, let him handle that, and I'll try to work on fall camp. But uh, I didn't realize that till somebody told me what our non-con was. So we'll see what we do. I don't think any of us will know probably till uh, early winter. I can't imagine that trying to fill those non-con slots are a priority right now. Uh, and the reason I say that is I was just kind of brainstorming, and maybe, you know, maybe Troy, you'll have a, a thought on this and maybe boggle your brain about this, that, you know, future scheduling, now that there's going to be 16 teams, I mean, are we still going to stay at nine conference games? Because I can see this as the, the future development of college football and that's scheduling. Are all these teams that are now, or conferences rather, that are going to have 16, 18, 20 teams? No, who knows how big they're going to get? Are we all going to stay at nine conference games if you're a conference like the Big 12? As opposed to the SEC, which says it's fine to play eight and let's throw in a. It's going to get very difficult. Honestly, at what point do you go ahead and split out of that and then? Turn around and make it almost where it is a full conference schedule. I mean, you got to think like when we move to twelve teams for the college football playoff, and you're still playing just eight conference games and four non-con games. Like, I could see that being the next move where you now add more conference games if you're staying at an even number to make it easier to schedule, and that way you build a better resume for your better teams. Make sure you're high, you're, you you book enough, you know, marquee games. For your primetime slots. But we'll see. That's just a thought I've had. I'm not sure if Gene Taylor, probably not a whole lot of focus on that right now. Uh, when we come back, what I do want to focus on is not offense. It's not defense. I want to talk about special teams because Coach Kleiman making an addition to his staff for special teams quality control. I think there was a necessary focus needed to be made on special teams this year. Kleiman's doing that. We'll discuss those details coming up next. 
Man, I don't remember the last time I listened to Disturbed. This is this is the band Disturbed, and it's the song Stupefy. That was my very first concert. Wichita at the Cotillion, Disturbed, Five Finger Death Punch when they were up and coming. They had just, just released their first album, and then another band called Art of Dying. That was a fantastic show. That was when Five Finger Death Punch was cool, and what I mean cool is like cool with metal fans. But now Five Finger Death Punch is cool. It's like that's a popular metal band for country fans. <laughs> it's one way of looking at it, yeah. But metal fans aren't very big fans of Five Finger Death Punch anymore. All right, welcome back to the game. Mitch Fortner and Troy Coverdale. Have you ever gone to a heavy metal concert? Like metal. Heavy, heavy metal. Um, probably the closest I could say would have been the David Coverdale show. Okay. Um given that he was harder edged with White what he snake. was doing yeah uh but this was solo show so it was not quite uh white snake in full but sure. working on stuff with his new band that would probably be about as hard edged as i've gotten i mean kiss for crying out loud was the first concert i went to was the david coverdale was that a uh, family invite uh no it was not that that one was paid on my nice cheap price of tickets to go see the stampede concert series in Greeley. You didn't uh, hold up a sign that says, I'm also a Coverdale, but it's Coverdale. No, I I chilled out. I I was like, nah, no need. Is your last name typically mispronounced? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, what can you do? Have you ever said why it's, or do you even know why it's Coverdale, not Coverdale? Have no idea. I have no idea, given that everything in Britain tied to the name is Coverdale. The last name Fortner, you would be surprised, like when I played sports and there was a PA announcer, you would be surprised how often it would get mispronounced. Sure. Fortney, it was a <laughs> was a common one. I'm like, why are we going, f-? like maybe it w- they were just assuming because there are a lot of Fortners in France, so like they thought a French last name, maybe it's a Fortney uh-huh. or something. I'm like, where did this come from? No, it's uh-huh. Fortner, the way it looks. Except like the T is kind of, is pretty silent. You don't really pronounce the T in Fort Fortner. It's like very light T, very light T. It's been a running gag for years of clover, uh, you know, Cloverdale, <laughs> and that would be even with the people who have known me for years have used that one. So the real irony comes from the fact that uh, this past fall, specifically uh, as school started, my niece and nephew both noted that uh, their names were pronounced correctly in class for. What is rarities for, the, say, the first day of school? Speaking of pronunciations, we got the first uh, roster. They had just printed out rosters at today's Climbing Press Conference, and I picked one up. I also got you a media guide, by the way. Thank you. Uh, but it had all the pronunciations, unlike most of I know. I was like, but I, you know, I can finally start working on my prep for PA. As we jump into special teams here, speaking of pronunciation, K-State punter this year, most likely going to be, it's not, not Jack Blummer. Or it, it looks like B L U M E R, but maybe it actually is. It's, I'll let you. I'll let Jack say how it's pronounced. Jack Bloomer. It's Bloomer, but there's no like e in there. Mm-hmm. So maybe more people would be like Jack Blummer, but no, Jack Bloomer, who is a senior, he's a former Marysville Bulldog, is most likely going to be your starting punter. He finally gets the 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 Devin Ankle rule when Devin, his senior year, not only was the punter. But he also had a campaign going for being the best holder in college football. 
as in on field goals, he would take the snap and set the ball up for the kicker, of course. Uh, well, Jack Bloomer has been the, the, the holder for a while now. Now he's finally most likely going to be punting. I don't see anybody taking the reins from him. Meanwhile, kicker is, to me, a bit of a question mark, even though Chris Tennant, who is back, was the starter to begin the year last year. There's a number of areas I'd like to see improvement, of course, with special teams. And somebody has been brought up and brought in to sure up a few things. And his name is Chili Davis. Not that Chili Davis. Um, Chili Davis, who is going to be brought in for special teams quality control. And Coach Kleiman said earlier today that he's already making an impact. And he wanted to make sure that um, this place was all it was he had heard about of, of where special teams is really important. And, and he's had a great impact right now on, on us. He's doing come up with a couple of new uh, wrinkles and schemes and techniques that uh, all of us coaches are excited about. And uh, he's got great energy uh, and excited that uh, he joined our, our family. To me, the the extra wrinkles, the added wrinkles to special teams and like kick and punt return, I think are pretty necessary in 2023. I think two games really stood out where the kickoff return just didn't have it. And that was the Texas game and then the Sugar Bowl against Alabama. I could see Alabama, they definitely stole the game plan from Texas. It's just like the, the, the style of kick return that K-State would use – Finally, somebody found a way to break the chain and get through and make tackles before the 2025-yard line. So I thought this was now the time to make those wrinkles, make an adjustment, and get back. You know, K-State did not have a kick return for a touchdown last year. And it's not the first year under climbing that that's happened, even though the kick return yardage on average wasn't terrible. But it just didn't have – it was just missing something last year. I don't know if it was a block or two. I mean, there were a number of times Phillip Brooks and Malik Knowles. I mean, they were a shoestring or one tackle or you know one tackler away from breaking it for a touchdown. Just a couple of bad luck plays here and there, but also at times something was just missing from kick return. So I like to. I, I'm looking forward to seeing the extra wrinkles there when it comes to kickoff and punt team. Getting down the field and making a tackle, I got to say, under Chris Kleiman, I think has been has been fantastic. I mean, just, going back a couple of years ago, I mean, K State was ha- holding teams to two yards per punt return last year, and or two years ago, and then last year on kick return for the uh, for the opposing team, K State was holding them to like sixteen yards a return. That's a phenomenal number. And by the way, under Chris Kleiman. K-State has not allowed a special teams touchdown, has not allowed a kickoff or punt return for a touchdown in the four years so far for Chris Kleiman. So I have no issue with the kick and punt teams getting downfield and making a play. It just felt like kickoff return last year, it was just missing something that we had had previously with previous teams. And, I mean, Phillip Brooks and Malik Knowles had been phenomenal. Also, I remember, like, that first year in the climate, Joshua Youngblood was phenomenal at returning kicks. And so I don't know if it has to do with the blocking, if it has to do with the particular kick or punt returner, or if it's maybe a mixture of both. Or maybe they just needed that one more block and he's gone. But I like fine-tuning these things. Figure out where the mistakes were made. If there was a common issue, 
and I hope those things really do get fixed and get back to special teams, truly special teams you, where we get a couple kickoff returns for a score per season. Uh, let's get to uh, really where the depth is right now at kicker and punter. Here's Chris Kleiman. Confident in Jack Bloomer from a punter standpoint of somebody that has punted in the Big 12. And then uh, we've got some young kickers. Leighton Simmering's one that comes to mind that, that I believe will challenge Chris Tennant as well. But uh, we haven't really had a lot of opportunities of, of full-go reps on things. So uh, we'll get more uh, answers for that in the next probably 10 days. This is another thing where I hope quality control special teams Chili Davis can sure up, and that is... The accuracy of Chris Tennant. He was a starter to begin the year, and he gets shelved after the TCU game. The reason is because he struggled from long distance. I remember Chris Tennant's freshman year, where he was not the starting kicker. He ended up taking over the kicking duties of what felt like halfway through the year or whatever. And he was struggling with the short kicks. He could not make a kick for some reason inside 30 yards. And I was like, that's that's a real head-scratcher because he was making the longer field goals. And then if you look at last year, Chris Tennant struggled with 30 and plus. He was four for six, 30 to 39 yards. And then from 39 plus, he didn't make any kicks. He was 0 for three from 40 on. And two of those field goals would have been monster at the time because they were against TCU. That was the game where Casey in the second half was dropping like flies with injuries. The offense wasn't scoring any points, but they were still moving down the field, just couldn't cap off drives with points, and Chris Tennant were miss, was missing some pretty big field goals. The other field goal he missed from 40-plus was against South Dakota State in the home opener where he missed his only field goal opportunity. And so I wonder, and then he gets benched, and then Ty Zittner crushes it. He did not miss a kick. Uh, he crushed the ball. Yeah, I mean, what a leg. Unreal. Ty Zittner had it. Plus, I'm going to miss announcing that kid's name. Ty Zittner. I mean, I could. It was so easy to put emphasis on it. His dad emailed me and appreciated the the effort I put into it. It's because it was my favorite name to announce, other than Felix and DK Uzama. Other than Felix. That's because you just like to show off. Well, you could really play with Felix and DK yes. Uzama's name. I mean, there's so many syllables. But when you get blessed with a last name that starts with a Z. That's where he can really put a punch. Really put a punch. And I felt like it was necessary because of the monster leg he had. I mean, come on. The kid is, that's a name we're never going to forget. But we need to see consistency out of Chris Tennant. And I I like the healthy healthy competition that he's going to have to face uh, right now in in fall camp. I don't think his uh, job as first ring, even though he was first ring to start the year last year, is safe. Let's take a break, and when we come back, here we go. Another round, we are going to officially crown our next Jabroni of the Week. Next. You Jabroni! You Jabronis hit the jackpot! That Hollywood burn Jabroni, Hulk Hogan! Ow! Is this Jabroni's name? Jabroni of the Week. Oh my God, here we go. Never... Fails to amaze me how many ding-dongs there are out there, so we're going to go over a few of them here. It's time to announce our latest Jabroni of the Week. If you're new to the show, I have three dishonorable mentions because i got to consider multiple jabrones, right? But there can only be one Jabroni of the Week. 
So three dishonorable mentions. I'll culminate with my jabroni of the week. And as I look at it, I look at the sports week. I think it starts on a Tuesday and it ends on a Tuesday, right? So we go Tuesday to Tuesday. That Um, way you get Monday night football in there. Yeah. Monday night football is the end of the sports week. There you go. Tuesday is the beginning of a new because not a whole lot's happening. Unless you're talking about week 12 of action. Then you have something to watch. Valid. Uh, let's start with, uh, this will be no surprise making the list, and I'm going to make my first dishonorable mention, the Baltimore Orioles management. Uh, because, man, we've seen, of course, and I hope this never happens to me, unannounced and making a big mistake. Something slips up or slips out, or you, you say something on air when you didn't mean for it to be on air, and you didn't even know you're on air, and then it gets followed up with a, uh, Nick Castellanos' home run, although, Jesus, <laughs> what an idiot that guy was. Um, Baltimore Orioles, they have suspended one of their uh, broadcasters. His name is Kevin Brown, and he was just doing his job, and it wasn't only him involved with what was taking place for the 60 seconds of what was being aired. Uh, anyway, uh, this was uh, – I mean, this was a little while back. I mean, he's been suspended for – about two weeks, a little over two weeks now, I think. But anyway, uh, Tampa Bay Rays, that's who they're playing. And here's Kevin Brown talking about uh, the trouble they've had playing the Rays in past. Brandon Hyde has felt like this has been maybe the toughest ballpark to play in. But the Orioles have a chance to do something special today. They've already clinched at least a split in the series, winning two of the first three. And they could pick up a series win behind Tyler Wells today. It's been a minute. The Orioles split a two-gamer with the Rays in June. They had lost their last 15 series here at Tropicana Field. You have to go back to when our now colleague Brad Brock picked up the win in the series finale June 25th, 2017, the last time the Orioles won a series here at St. Pete. Already got three and two of the Trop this year after winning three of 18. The previous three years combined. It is. So there you get it. You understand it's been bad for the Orioles in St. Pete against the Tampa Bay Rays. They stink in St. Pete. And all Kevin Brown was doing is just stating facts. A state, a very basic, uh, standard, already pre-discussed piece. I don't know who said it, but somebody made a, a good point there. Like, if you're going to suspend him, you got to suspend the whole truck. Absolutely. The graphic that was put together, I mean, there was probably a yeah, meeting about th- this. This was developed in the production meeting. That is soft. S-A-W-F-T soft for Baltimore Orioles management. He'll be back sooner or later. And by the way, how about this for a kicker for this story? There was an adult website that does like live cam stuff or whatever, they offered Kevin Brown $750,000 to start doing play-by-play for that stuff. $750,000. I I think he'll stick with his uh, freelancing with ESPN. My next dishonorable mention is going to go to a golfer by the name of Robert Morris from the state of Florida. Would not have seen this story if it wasn't for like a random retweet that showed up on X. Um, So... I don't golf, but I can imagine a time or two everybody's been angry with their own game and playing golf. A shank here, a shank there, you lose a golf ball, it, it's why butt pe- kicked. Yeah, it's why people can go swimming in the pond and fish golf clubs out. Well, this uh, this Robert Moore guy, 
after a golfing outing at the Glenview Country Club in Florida. It's a retirement community. Uh, gets in an argument with an 87-year-old man named Dean Zook. And uh, by the way, this Robert Moore guy is in his 70s. Well, it gets into an altercation where Robert Moore punches Dean in the head. Dean dies from that punch. He passes away from the shot to the head. And so police, after that took place, was investigating to try to determine for some reason they didn't have like a log or like of who was playing so they had to do some investigation to figure out investigating to figure out who the guy was so they looked at surveillance video they went back and looked through the uh like receipts that like did he eat at the clubhouse turns out they did he did so they found out his image kind of pixelated right and they found out his name but they needed more info so they started to do a little bit more digging did this uh florida police crew and uh they figured out that he had once had a hole-in-one on that golf course, and because of that story that was published, they got a clear oh, no. shot of his face. And by the way, he was wearing the exact same outfit for the hole-in-one that he did when he punched this guy. <laughs> like, well, we definitely, because they had to double-check, we definitely have our guy. Oh, no. So he's been charged with one count of manslaughter. <laughs> oh, the heck. All right, my last dishonorable mention is going to be White Sox shortstop Tim Anderson. Oh, boy. He got a six-game suspension. Guardians third baseman Jose Ramirez, a three-game suspension for a benches-clearing brawl on Saturday. The two teams clashed when Ramirez and Anderson started to square off at second base. Ramirez slid in safely on a double in the bottom of the sixth inning in the fight, then uh, culmination with several days of trash-talking and gesturing between the teams finally sparked at second base. Well, Anderson got the worst of the exchange because he got dropped by the right-hander Ramirez. He got sat down on his keister. Danced right into it. And it, I thought it was a bit of a lucky shot, but I, I like the bobbing and weaving by uh, Ramirez. Mm-hmm. He, he looked to be a, a bit of a better fighter, and he just got, he got that lucky right hand in mm-hmm. there. He did. To add to the story... Um, New video has showed that when Anderson got up, I mean, he was probably a little bit concussed. He got rocked. He was wobbly. He had spaghetti legs when he was coming off the field. And then 24 hours later, I mean, he's getting mocked on the internet for it. He he did not have thick skin. He had really thick skin, uh, thin skin in in response because all he would do is get on social media, start talking all this trash about how he's going to get Ramirez back, and then he changed his picture to a picture of. Slain rapper King Vaughn before firing back at everybody on Twitter. Yeah, that makes sense. And there was more cryptic tweets that he ended up deleting. Anderson's not a well-liked guy to begin with. But finally, let's get to it. My jabroni of the week should be no surprise. Guys, it's Pac-12 commissioner George Klyovkov. I told you, with the weeks now we've had of conference realignment, months of him not getting any work done that he was going to be at least a dishonorable mention for the foreseeable future but i mean he lost five universities in one day one day done washington oregon arizona arizona state utah gone at the end of last week out of there after he proposed the same media deal at a separate meeting the same week he had given everybody the Apple deal. Nothing was new at this new this new meeting. So everybody's like, all right, 
were gone, and now the Pac-12 down to four, and what it sounds like maybe down to two uh, here very soon as the ACC may be interested in Cal and Stanford and maybe SMU. Yes. That's the new rumor today, what yes. Is, what is your response if you are Florida State and Clemson, after, especially Florida State, after being very public about basically saying we're out, it's just a matter of time, threatening the ACC to make a move and do something with this terrible media deal they have, and now they want to add Cal Stanford and uh, an SMU. I'm just trying to think how do you split that into divisions. SMU, Cal Stanford, great. They're your West. Um, you know, it, it is ACC, right? <laughs> Louisville? They're on that Atlantic coast. Do, does Louisville become a uh, Western yeah, uh, already West. division team? They yeah. are West. And then you're probably looking at, uh, let's see, I don't have a map in front of me, but I would think... Maybe Virginia. I mean, Virginia might be one of them. Yeah, Notre Dame would have to be for basketball and all other sports. Yeah, but yeah, Virginia would probably have to. That's brutal. George Klyovkov, you still have your job, so you're my jabroni of the week. All right, we'll take a break. We'll finish hour one next. Game on. Tweet the game K M A N or call five three seven thirteen fifty and get in touch with the show. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. All right, we wrap up our one of the game. And by the way, we're at it 530. Uh, tomorrow's show, we will have the voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis, his second training camp update from St. Joe. And he's going to have us a big update on Felix and Udike Uzama. On what's the latest on the first round draft pick for the Kansas City Chiefs. But I wanted to wrap up this hour by saying congratulations to Troy Coverdale. Oh, shoot. Congratulations. Do you know why I'm congratulating you? Uh, probably because of the two pieces of hardware that, that were announced yesterday. Yeah. Uh, Troy won Kansas Association of Broadcasters first place awards in both play-by-play and sportscast. Thank you. I'm telling you, it's that voice. <laughs> It's the voice that's the game changer. I wish I had it. Oh, listen to wish you. Wish I had something in the neighborhood. Yeah, missed, listen to you, Mr. PA. But no, seriously, congratulations. That's that's pretty cool. Thank you. I, I'm i the worst when it comes to submitting KBs. I always forget. Oh, sure. Like, I wanted to submit something for uh, PowerCat Game Day, and I had it ready to go, and then the deadline comes up, and I just space it. Ah. So that's why I've never won... I, I may have won awards, but that's because other people, you know... Have submitted? Submitted them, or, like, management was, like, on top of it, like, hey, get this done. It's already three pay- days past due. <laughs> we paid all this extra money, so we got the late fees taken care of, Mitchell. So do it. All right, but anyway, congratulations once Thank again. Thank you. That's, that's quite the honor. That mean, I don't know where the KB Awards this year are, but... You'll get a couple of first placers. Have to figure out someone to be in in the morning in my place. So I can actually go celebrate it. I think we can find somebody. We'll figure it out. All right, hour two of the game. It's a short hour two, so we'll discuss uh, more clips from Chris Kleiman earlier today at his press conference. A lot about depth. That's coming up next, and so is your local news.
What do you think the Cats are going to look like this year? Welcome back to the game. It's hour number two. The game after work. Mitch Fortner and Trey Coverdale were out at 5.30, so we're on for another 22 minutes exactly. Get more on Chris Kleiman here in just a moment. I don't even think I've mentioned this yet. This week on the show, Cats in the coaches poll ranked 17th in the country, which is the highest preseason coaches poll ranking since number 13 in 2004. It's been a long time. Uh, that the Cats have had uh, this kind of praise in the preseason from the coaches. We'll see what the um, the AP poll has. I believe that comes out on Monday, late Monday morning. I think it's at 11 a.m. is when we get the AP poll. Hard to believe that we're getting that much closer to week zero being upon us. Yeah, that's, uh, what is that, two and a half weeks away, and mm-hmm. we're, we're getting all the watch list stuff out. Yep. And, uh, I mean, it's watch list galore for the Cats. Not going to go over every single one of them. Uh, all the preseason nods you can imagine for all the key players for K-State. Um, but the season opener, September 2nd, against Southeast Missouri at Bill Snyder Family Stadium at 6 o'clock. And I saw on the old X here <laughs> uh, that uh, K-State has given us uh, ticket updates for single games. And let's see here. I had it here just moments ago. I don't know where it went. Uh, but I did notice they said that there's under a thousand tickets available for the SEMO game September second, and I mean we're down to triple digits for UCF, Troy, and TCU. So go get those tickets; they're going to be selling out. I would imagine before the season opener September second. One thousand for SEMO, two hundred fifty for Troy. There you go. Yeah. Eight hundred for UCF, two hundred for TCU. Yep, going to be sellouts. No doubt about that. So if you really want to go, discuss it for your with your family like in the next hour and then go to kcasports.com and go pick up those tickets because we want to see, of course, sellouts all season long just like we did last year at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. All right, let's uh, get back to Chris Kleiman. He had his first fall press conference earlier today at the Veneer Football Complex, a number of K-State media in attendance including yours truly. Now i got to backtrack here to make sure I didn't, uh, let's see, I got rid of everything I already played. So uh, where should we start? Let's start with uh, the running backs. I asked the question about the carries and how it's kind of being split up. And uh, Kleiman not only answering that, but also discussing, you know, for the coaches, what they're trying to get accomplished right now at fall practice. I think the big thing for us is, and for Coach Anderson, is learning Treshawn's skill set, what he does really well, because we, we had him in the spring, but he didn't practice. We're trying to learn things that he does really well. We know what DJ does, but when you had Deuce there, I mean, that, that overshadowed everything, so we're trying to make sure that we see what DJ Giddens does really well, because DJ missed spring. We're sharing all those reps. I, I mean, whether somebody goes with the ones one day or, or the twos, running back right now, we have three or four guys up with the first group. And we're rotating a couple of guys. So there's really good competition back there. I would imagine at the end of the day, when it comes to skills on the field, that you're not going to find a whole lot of differences. I think it'd be the little things that you'll find differences in between Treshawn Ward and uh, and DJ Giddens. What you'll find is you know Ward obviously has more experience, but I don't think there's a whole lot that DJ Giddens can't do. And I would imagine the same thing for Treshawn Ward. Those are two guys that are hard to tackle. They're two guys that... I think no doubt about it, as you could hear in the clip, probably splitting 50-50 when it comes to carries. And opening day, you're probably going to see running back by committee between those two guys and maybe a third guy thrown into the mix 
as well. Because I mean, Joe Jackson was brought up earlier today that could see some time, or maybe not see some time, but is doing things as a very young guy right away that the coaches are noticing. And he's, you know, it's not a surprise to hear his name brought up. It's been brought up multiple times as a as a running back that's been doing um, some uh, some noticeable things. So running back is going to be solid, and I think so. Of course, is linebacker with Sam linebacker feels like kind of up for grabs right now but of course at the Mike linebacker position you have Daniel Green and then Austin Moore who was one of by far was one of my favorite players last year just in general just impressed me with stepping into that starting role and played so well I mean and I'll never forget the SWAT that he had of Max Duggan that should have been a safety but was called an incomplete pass never left the hand of Duggan even though, yes, the arm was going forward, but Austin Moore knocked it. I mean, basically, it was like posterizing a guy. Or not maybe not posterizing, but like dunking at the rim. Somebody's trying to dunk at the rim and then gets blocked. I thought that's what like Austin Moore did. It was a hell of a play. I mean, I jumped out of my seat at the press box at AT&T Stadium when that play went down. But for strong safety, uh, maybe up for grabs, Desmond Purnell. I know that's somebody that's a, that's a favorite for that position, but... Jake Clifton, who had an impressive first year with K-State last year, we're going to see him on the field, and he's playing all over the place. The first six practices, he's played all three spots, and that's how versatile he is and how valuable he is. Probably a little unfair to him to have to play all three spots, but uh, he's taken it on. He's liked the challenge, and he knows that his versatility allows him to maybe be a starter in any of the three spots to the first guy that spells somebody. We're just very fortunate to have Clifton. Very fortunate to have that versatility in Jake Clifton, who's a sophomore, and he can play all three positions. Uh, Meanwhile, let's jump back to the offense, and we talked about this clip earlier about the quarterbacks, was asked about depth, and it was, you know, of course, backup last year when you have Adrian Martinez out, Will Howard steps into the QB1 role, and then Jake Rubley moves into second string. We saw him just a little bit last year. You know, clean up, clean up duty a little bit against uh, South Dakota. And then he came in, of course, against TCU, and Will got hurt. He did throw an interception, but he's doing better. Game's starting to slow down for, for Rubes. But Avery Johnson, the kid's playing fast. He knows he's still learning what we're doing schematically, and he's learning a lot from Will and Jake. But the one thing, when the ball snapped, every play's really, really fast. And so as he continues to learn our system and the defensive side of things slows down from him, we're going to continue to see quantum leaps from him. But make no mistake, when, when he tucks it away and runs, it's a different speed out there. I mean, you cannot hear that and start thinking, man, the future is bright at quarterback. Very bright. Avery Johnson is the future quarterback for for K-State. And, you know, it's one thing for a, a freshman to come in and just entertain and be impressive. It's another to dictate the pace of the game. And we're going to play at my speed. And I'm going to show you my tricks right out of the gate and prove that, you know what, I'm going to be on this three deep. And it may be, uh, may be a surprise to some people that maybe there will be an or for the backup quarterback when it comes to September 2nd. Now, I mean, the way I would predict things is, of course, Jake Ridley being second string, Avery Johnson being third string. But, of course, I don't know, you know, what are the plans for Avery Johnson moving forward? Are they going to try to protect his eligibility uh, with this season? We'll find out, of course, as the season goes along and when we see 
a depth chart, of course. I, I really wanted to know about wide receiver going into this press conference uh, because just not really sure what the depth is looking like right now. So I asked the question, is anything for sure right now with the depth chart when it comes to wide receiver, anybody really playing into that third open spot uh, for the third guy at wide receiver in the starting lineup? Keegan Johnson has really been exceptional in spring, and it carried over to the fall. Phillip has always done a really good job, and, and we're excited to have him back. We're going to be smart with Phil. Seth's getting more and more reps. One of the guys that has made a ton of plays in the first six days is R.J. Garcia. I liked our depth, and then we have another five or six guys that I'll forget somebody if I try to mention one, but we have another five or six guys that are getting a lot of reps in that third, fourth, fifth receiver. So after hearing that, and of course there was no like exact answer, uh, even though I felt like if put the clues together, RJ Garcia would be that third guy in the starting lineup. And I would, he's got to be penciled in right now for that spot, uh, especially the way his season ended with the touchdown catch in the Big 12 championship game, which was just an incredible play. That was not an easy ball by Will Howard, and he got it in there from RJ Garcia that went up and got it. Uh, I, I think at the end of the day he'll earn that spot. I'm just, you know, after hearing that, I know five or six guys may be fighting for the two D, but just we're really not going to know a whole lot about the depth until we see him play. And I wouldn't be surprised, like if you would have noticed with the rotation last year, there was a little bit of rotation, but the ball typically wasn't going towards those guys that were second string or third string. It was typically going to your starters, Malik Knowles, Phillip Brooks and Cade Warner were getting almost all of the targets. Um, and then also, I, you know, I didn't pull the clip, but Sterling Lockett was brought up at today's press conference as well, and where his improvement has showed as a redshirt freshman is that he's put on a little bit of weight, but he's stronger. And that's where it's really key for Sterling Lockett right now is that when he's going up for a contested ball, he wasn't winning him uh, early on in his career. Uh, if it was 50-50 and he goes up for the ball, he gets his hands on it first, but maybe contact right after, the ball wasn't sticking to his hands. Where Sterling Lockett has improved and what he's showing coaches is now he can win those contested battles. He can go up and get a football 50-50, win the battle. Or if he gets contact as he makes the catch, he comes down with the football. That's good news for, uh, for Sterling Lockett. Once again, talking about how important and how successful weight and the training has been getting in the weight room working on those things how important that becomes and we continue to hear how good k-state's strength training continues to be let's wrap up uh with uh i got a couple of clips here when it comes to defense let's start with you know we know who's going to be playing at this position we can probably picture in our minds the depth and how it'd be stacking up on the depth chart and that is the nose guard position, the defensive tackle position. Here's Coach Kleiman speaking about Uso Salamalu and the nose guard depth. Very strong, very explosive, uh, in really good shape right now, um, understanding what we're doing uh, defensively, so he's playing really fast. We like the depth we have behind him, too. Damian Alalio's done a really good job. Uh, Javon Banks done a really good job, so we're probably deeper there right now because of the experience, especially that Damian got last year. So right now it's, it's a position of depth and strength. I have zero concern about the nose guard position, zero. Uso's going to be an animal even though he's lost some weight, so now he's like down to like 335. Big guy, huge arms, animal, aggressive. 
He blasts off the line when the ball snaps. I mean, he's checking a lot of boxes of what you want as a first-string nose guard, most likely going to be nose guard, first-string. Javon Banks, I still don't know a whole lot about him. You can look up stats or whatever. He's a former SEC nose guard, but he's going to be a part of that depth. I look forward to watching him play. Then, I mean, Damian Elalu, I mean, I watched him play in high school. I know what kind of guy... what kind of guy he is. He's an absolute fighter. And in his limited opportunities last season, he was impressive. And he was in on that play. That, I mean, you could say that won K-State the Big 12 championship, and that was the goal line stand on fourth down. He was right there in there making the play. Wasn't alone, but he was a huge part of that play. Damian Elah Leo in high school. He's got the wrestling background. That's what I really like about Damian Elah Leo. He's got that Will Geary wrestling background he is a two-time 6a kansas heavyweight champion of the world he won the state championship twice so what kind of wrestler you got as a backup nose guard all right now we got to go to the secondary because there's a lot of question marks at secondary in the secondary positions the three safety spots your two corners let's start with the safeties right now a work in progress. We're making good progress. Uh, you know, VJ uh, Payne's a year older. Uh, that's really noticeable. Kobe Savage looks fresh, looks good, looks uh, healthy and healed. Uh, Marquis Siegel would be the other safety that's doing a really nice job. And then we're we're rotating a lot of guys in there at that uh, uh, behind those guys, and we're repping an awful lot of guys there at safety. And I mean, if you told me, as you can kind of uh, picture there, that three names stood out to Coach Kleiman. You would pencil them in as the three starters. No doubt about it, Kobe Savage is in there. I, I would say as well, VJ Payne, who got the freshman, uh, you know, thrown into the fire freshman role, where he really improved as you know the the second half of the season went on, and he had to play a little bit more. But Kobe Savage is the is the leader, like and and to me, he's he's probably the most vocal leader on the team. And when he got hurt last year in the Baylor game, it's what Casey was missing—a very vocal like. When he talks, people listens type of leader. And Kobe Savage is back, and that's a ball hawk that's going to make some plays in that secondary. And I'm going to go in and predict right now. I mean, I think he's going to lead K-State in interceptions this year. Um, He's always there to make plays. He's always in the right spot at the right times. I'm very high on Kobe Savage in his final year. And then Marquis Siegel, who is um, a transfer. Not a surprise to see his name chalked in there as well as a potential starter, and then what could be a revolving door at this position, we'll see. Let's go to the corners and who's standing out there. I think Will Lee's taken another step just by being here in the spring. Jacob Parrish, you can tell his experience of playing last year. Keenan Garber's ex- little bit of experience playing last year has really helped him. Justice James, a, a corner that was redshirted last year, a junior college kid. And then Jordan Wright playing Jordan at a lot of different spots. We're just moving him around because he's a really good athlete. So we're gaining depth, but it's going to be ongoing through camp. Jacob Parrish and, and, and Keenan, especially Keenan Garber, I mean, to bring him up, I mean, if you remember his story – where you know he was playing wide receiver, and then we're kind of light at corner. Here comes the Big 12 championship game, and that week he switches over, tries to cram for this position in 36 hours or something like that, and then he has an incredible game of lockdown corner play when K-State needed it so much when we thought it was back-to-back TCU games where just we're dropping like flies and Echo gets hurt and Malik Knowles gets hurt. You're dropping starters, and all of a sudden here comes Keenan Garber with the save, and now he 
intends to play pretty decent amount, staying at the corner position for his retro senior year. Jacob Parrish will be in that rotation, of course, if not a starter. Jordan Wright's an interesting story because he transferred in last year, and now he's fighting for a starting position. And then Will Lee, who's a, a, a JUCO transfer, national championship winner, JUCO All-American. He's one of the top JUCO transfers in this year's class uh, who's going to be playing corner this year as well for K-State. So on paper, it feels like there is some pretty decent depth uh, that could play corner. It's just, you know, who will be the day one starters is left to be uh, as a question is currently unanswered. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll finish up the show next. All right, Troy. You mentioned earlier the first concert you ever went to. Yep. What's been the strangest slash wildest concert venue you've been to? The wildest venue? Uh, I mean, the Cotillion is pretty interesting. It's like just a big circle and uh, comes in like it's kind of like, I don't know how to, it's like a half globe, whatever you would call that. Um, I, do, I do love it. The acoustics in there are fantastic. You know, Sandstone is quite interesting. I've seen some pretty interesting concerts. There used to be a tour called Mayhem Fest. That was a very heavy metal mm-hmm. um, tour. I think the first time I saw it, the headliners were disturbed in Slipknot, back to back. I don't know if I've ever like been to like some wild venues. Uh, I was actually the Whiskey A Go Go. You'd be surprised that a lot of heavy metal bands got their start at Whiskey A Go Go. I know I brought right. this up earlier. Um, but the, the setup is very strange in there. Very high stage. Like, the stage is, like, I think five feet high. Really? Yeah. Wow. It's, it's, it's high. Okay. So everybody can see. Sure. Hopefully. I still say that the strangest would be being at an outdoor concert where you have to roll in the stage because it's a rodeo arena <laughs> where yeah, you've had yeah. stuff go on during the day. And you've got a lightning show going on around you. Had that one year. Alan Jackson performing on stage at the Greeley Stampede. Although the, uh, there's also... It was n- far enough away, luckily, that, yeah. Nothing like a loud concert being in a bar, and the bar acoustically is not set up for success, and it just kills your ears. It's horrible. All right. Uh, back for an hour and a half tomorrow. Voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis, will join us at 440. For Troy, I'm Mitch. Royals are next. Go Cats.